I'm Nora McInerney, and this is Terrible. Thanks for asking. Before Khalil Thompson was a news story, he was a kid. A kid whose mother moved him and his big sister to the suburbs of Minneapolis in pursuit of a safer, better life. And if you had to pick a suburb to have a better life in, you could do worse than Crystal, Minnesota. Yes, it's kind of boring, a little quiet, but it has a great library and some good parks. One of them is Bassett Creek Park. Bassett Creek Park is where Khalil Thompson and his family would go when he was younger. I live a few blocks away from Bassett Creek Park, actually, in a different suburb. I love Bassett Creek Park. It has these huge old trees, this big pond that has all these, I think they're egrets. They're kind of storky birds. Some sort of stork-like bird. It has a frisbee golf course, which I don't love, but I can tolerate it as long as I don't get hit with a disc. (laughs) And it has Bassett Creek, which just cuts right through it, connecting my suburb to the next one, which is Crystal. Bassett Creek Park is where I go for runs. It's where our whole big blended family goes on bike rides and scooter rides and goes for walks after dinner. It's where old folks make eye contact and wish you a good evening when you cross paths. This park is idyllic as heck. It's also where, on May 24th, Khalil Thompson was shot by the Crystal Police. It's where four officers fired more than 12 times at him, hitting him twice. They shooting at somebody. Y'all, hey, get over here. Go Dramatic down. cell phone video given to us by a neighbor captures the moment Crystal Police open fire on a man in Bassett Creek Park. Zoom in on the first clip, and you they can see officers with their weapons drawn near this Go tree. In that clip, you hear at least 13 shots. Then the woman stopped and started the camera momentarily. On the second clip, you can hear at least another five shots fired. They still going. They killed that boy, I bet you. Crystal Police Chief Stephanie Revering says the man had a gun and refused to put it down after being asked several times by police. Our officers, believing they were in imminent danger, discharged their firearms toward the suspect and then immediately provided first aid. He pointed at me. The witness who shot the video heard an officer say he pointed it at me. Her fourth and final video ends with officers walking toward the direction they were shooting and more police cars responding. News reports claimed initially that Khalil had had a gun and later revealed it was an airsoft gun, which is like a pellet gun or a BB gun. They look realistic, or they can, and they're supposed to have an orange tip that sets them apart from real guns. Khalil had painted his black. The Bureau of Criminal Apprehension claims that the four officers feared for their lives, that they first fired non-lethal rounds, And when Khalil wouldn't put the airsoft gun down, they shot him with real bullets. That is about all we can say for certain about that day in the park. 
which means that there's a lot that we don't know and that we won't know while the investigation is still underway and that we may never know. This episode is not investigative reporting. If you like that kind of podcast, you should listen to In the Dark or 74 Seconds. This episode is, as usual, an emotional investigation. I mean, those are the kids that I raised. And they shoot him down like he, like he didn't matter. Like he was just some other black kid. This is Khalil's mother, Naomi. When you hear those gunshots, what you're hearing are the bullets that hit her youngest child. What you're going to hear in this episode is what comes after those gunshots. This is the heartbreak and the humanity behind a headline. This is a search for clarity where there's only chaos and confusion. About 36 hours after those gunshots were fired, one of our colleagues got Naomi's permission to record a conversation while Khalil lay across town in critical condition. Three, two, one, A, B, C. This is Dua Lee. I'm Dua Lee Sai Kao Tao, and um, I've been a reporter here at uh, Minnesota Public Radio for two years now. A few days before she sat down to talk with us, Dua Lee headed from the Minnesota Public Radio offices in St. Paul to the opposite side of town to meet at Naomi's home. It was May 25th, 2017, Thursday afternoon, around 4 p.m. And I I get there, and she comes downstairs. Um, She lives on the second floor, and she's visibly exhausted. Um, She's got a cap on, uh, very much just keeping herself together as best as possible. And we walk up um, back into her space, The entire living room is dark. The blinds are all shut, essentially closed down. I could barely even see um, the space. And I'm allergic to cats, and there were cats there, but I, you know, of course, you know, you you just ignore that. You just itch and scratch, and your eyes just get really red, and you you, you just, you know, you you talk about the cat. Say it again. Um, It was close cat initially, but... Since he's been gone, she's been clawing up everything. And so Chloe's cat is named? Uh, um, her name is Domino. And we had her for three years, and she's like a therapy cat. Well, she was a therapy cat for both of us. She's clawed up quite a lot of the, yeah, the sofa has. here. Yeah, she has. She's really had fun around here. So um, I just asked her um, very slowly, you know, could I get a little more light in your living room? Um, do you mind if I open up, you know, the blinds a little bit? And she goes, oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and she opened up the blinds and I could see a little bit more of her, her personal private space. Um, and she immediately pointed out all the books that um, Khalil reads. He reads a lot, like all those books over there are his books. And he enjoys reading, which was interesting because in the third grade, I could not get him to read anything. (laughs) But that's all he does is read. 
It was just these thick four or five hundred, you know, page books that you can imagine, you know, someone who isn't such a social butterfly just delves into. So it was just a row of like thick thrillers and and sci-fi. And I was just thinking, oh, wow, like this was my first introduction to who this young man um, is. And and then she immediately uh, she, she was holding on to a Mother's Day card. You were can just I grab t- this Mother's Day card. Absolutely. And she was like, "Can I tell you about this? Can I just show you this?" And I said, "Of course." And that's how her story began. It's been um, important, and at the same time, it's been hard for me. Just reading it was, it was what he wrote um, in the card. So um, um, the two of us wanted to make you something special for Mother's Day. This is for my daughter, Minkalo. She's 21, and he recently turned 18. Kulo's plan was to graduate high school this year, and he was accepted into the Art Institute in San Diego and Denver. Well, when he was younger, he wanted to be uh, he wanted to be a marine biologist, <laughs> and then he wanted to be a therapist, and um. I had a family meeting once because he's been hospitalized multiple times for his mental illness. And during the family meeting once, he said, and it made me cry, he said he wants to be a registered nurse like me. He plays guitar. He taught himself how to play the guitar. He's a big fan of Guns N' Roses. And he would play for me all the time. I enjoyed listening to him. Because that's what he does. He doesn't really hang out in the streets. He just he just liked to play his music. Um, he was in a band with his friends, the same friends that were with him that day. Yesterday, I just, I'm losing track of time. But he grew up with these friends, and that's why he was in Crystal, because we, we used to live there. And those friends have been a support system. And so that's where he decided to go. Khalil's friends say he'd been living with them on and off for the past couple of months. And he was with them the night before the shooting. But he wasn't well. His friends claim they'd called the Crystal Police that night, the night before Khalil was shot. His friends were afraid that he was again exhibiting suicidal behaviors, and they didn't feel equipped to handle it. They were hoping he would get the help he needed. They said that police showed up to do a wellness check. But by the time the friends had left work to head the few blocks home, the police had already left. And they hadn't left any resources to help Khalil. Twelve hours later, Khalil was alone in Bassett Creek Park, facing four police officers. I got the call. Yesterday my phone kept ringing. And I have this thing where I don't answer numbers that I've never seen before. And it said restricted numbers, so I'm really just not answering. And then my my older sister, Tracy, called me. And she said, Khalil had just been shot. And she said he was shot by the police. Initially, I didn't believe this. I couldn't believe that. I couldn't. Every part of me just couldn't believe, couldn't accept that. And then I came down to the hospital, and my daughter said, you're not going to, it's going to be hard for you to see this. And so 
when she told me that, I was afraid because I had no idea what was going on. And by some miracle, and I'm not going to completely say that because he's still not out the clear, out of all of those different rounds, he was shot twice. But he was shot in his head, and he was shot in the stomach. And, and they were able to remove both the bullets, but they had to remove his kidney. And they had to do some surgical repairs um, on his bowels. They had to go back in and do some more exploratory surgery to see if there was any other thing that they might have missed. He, his brain has so much swelling on it that when I got there and I even just peeking in the door, I collapsed. And I was hysterical and I just didn't understand. I couldn't believe it. The entire time that she was answering my questions, she was eyes half open. Um, her body was slumped. Um, and so we went through questions very slowly, very carefully, very softly. And, um, you know, I, I asked her, so, you know, were you planning to not go back to the hospital? Well, I'm home because the fact is I've just become too hysterical. I just kind of lost it. I can't see my son hooked up and being intubated and, and what all the tubes. And then last night they said they had to leave his stomach open because of the swelling and they couldn't close it. And, and when my daughter told me that I would have a hard time seeing what I did, I did. I mean, her and a nurse pretty much had to, they had to pull me up off the floor. You, you simply couldn't look? No, I couldn't. That's my baby. That's my son. We are going to take a break here. Take some deep breaths. We are talking today about a police shooting, so it's probably appropriate to tell you about the podcast 74 Seconds, which is made here by the Minnesota Public Radio News team. 74 Seconds is an investigative podcast about the shooting of Philando Castile by Officer Geronimo Yanez. And 74 Seconds is an incredible, thorough, I don't know, it's so good it is seriously the kind of podcast that you will wait on the edge of whatever seat you're sitting on for. Okay, just listen to this. I'm terrible at describing things. This is the story of a traffic stop. It's July 6th, 2016, in Falcon Heights, Minnesota. It's hot and humid, the kind of weather that makes you want to roll your windows down. Let the breeze in. Falcon Heights is a suburb outside Minneapolis and St. Paul. 
It's a mostly white town of bungalows and ramblers and fewer than 6,000 people. It's just after 9 p.m. A black man is driving his white Oldsmobile down the suburb's main street. It's still light out. The sun's just starting to go down the tail end of a long summer day. The man's girlfriend is in the passenger seat. Her four-year-old daughter is buckled up in a car seat in back. They've got a load of groceries. They're heading back from the store. At 9.02 p.m., a police officer runs the plates on that white Oldsmobile. 20 on the 20. What's your location? He radios his partner, who's just down the road in another car. Player. Copy. I'm going to stop a car. 203 Tom Tom Mary. And then, at 9.04, he turns on his lights. 74 seconds later, Officer Geronimo Yanez fired seven shots into the driver. Officer Yanez's trial is starting soon here in Minnesota, and it's going to follow the trial as well. So search for 74 seconds wherever you get podcasts. Make sure you tap that subscribe button because you will want to hear every episode that they make. And we're back in Naomi's home, where she's talking to Dueli. Dueli sat for an hour, listening to Naomi confront and sort through the confusion of what happened to her son. And there's so much confusion. Khalil has been through a lot in his life. Both of his parents suffer from mental illness. Naomi told Dueli that she herself suffers from bipolar 1 disorder. She's had manic episodes, and a couple years ago, these manic episodes caused her to lose her job as a nurse, which meant she lost her means of support, and the family ended up experiencing homelessness for a time. This is a family that knows the signs of mental illness. They know what it can do and what it means. And Khalil was no exception. I mean, there were early signs of a possibility of a severe mental illness, but his main diagnosis was major depression, uh, generalized anxiety disorder. And in the past year, Khalil was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, and that made things even harder. More and more, he started exhibiting some signs of psychosis, which um, actually occurred out here recently in this area when he wanted to kill himself outside. Oh my gosh, this was, um, it was still cold outside, so I would say January or February. And I got a call from one of my neighbors, because I was in my room, and she said, your son's outside with a knife trying to hurt himself. And It happened were, just out here? Yeah, in the cul-de-sac, and it went on for maybe three hours. I seen a, like all these police, maybe 15, and they all had big shotguns out on him. And he mentally was not there. I could see it. And I know my son, and something was seriously wrong with him. Um, they called the negotiation team in, um, and they reassured me that he was going to be safe. And they were able to get him to drop the knife from hurting, trying to hurt himself. And he was, um, he was taken to the um, 
psychiatric unit. Um, I'm sorry, I'm just kind of still a little bit overwhelmed. Um, he was taken to the psychiatric unit um, over at Fairview Hospital. And from there, it kind of kept going to the point where they had to, his safety, he was not safe anywhere. I couldn't monitor his safety. I tried. I wouldn't let him be in his room anymore. I had to watch him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I mean, I'm a psychiatric RN, and I work on the adolescent unit. And with the experience of that, you know, some people would assume that it would come easy, you know, but when it's your own child, it's different. I mean, I've really done great with my patients, but with my son, it was really difficult. And I guess not knowing the severity of his mental illness is what made it difficult. Last summer, Naomi had sat down with Khalil to watch a video. It was a Facebook Live video taken by a woman named Diamond Reynolds. Her boyfriend, Philando Castile, was in the driver's seat of his Oldsmobile, bleeding to death after being shot seven times by a police officer during a traffic stop in a suburb of St. Paul, Minnesota. The video had gone viral, with millions of people seeing Philando's last moments alive and a screaming police officer. We watched it together, and I saw a look on his face, and we discussed how to handle situations, and it's sad because I got to tell my son how to how to be safe because of police. Usually it used to be how to be safe from strangers, and, and it made me nervous because they were so different. They were very homocentric. Uh, and I'm thinking to myself, I have really great kids given a circumstance that I am a single parent, but they turn out so well. As of this recording, it's been over a week since Khalil was shot. There's still no certainty about what happened. The police essentially just go dark on information related to any individual um, when it involves something um, as high profile as this. Um, And every time I tried to verify, you know, through the police, they would just send me to the BCA, to the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension, to, to verify those things. I called the police last night, tried to get through to them, and they were not helpful. They didn't tell me anything. I called again today, left a message. I have not heard anything. And they're aware of who I am. I made it clear of who I was. What do you want to say to them? What do you want to ask? I want to ask why did they do that to my son? Have they told you that he will recover? Well, they're not sure. They really can't give me a prognosis. But one thing, the doctors, they've been really good at calling me and giving me updates. And I tell them to not sugarcoat anything because I am a nurse and I want to be realistic about things. Just be honest with me. So, but the doctor does feel like he... His, like, like his body is really fighting hard. 
and he believes that there's a high possibility of recovery. So we're just kind of waiting, and that's the hard part for me. That's why I can't sleep and I can't eat. And a part of me feels like, what if I sleep and I get a phone call and if something happens and I'm not awake or, you know, I just, I'm afraid to fall asleep. I'm afraid to, I have no appetite. I can't think, I can't do anything because I'm terrified that my son is gonna lose his life. This is now happening to you. This is this is real. Yeah. And, and I just want people to know, like, what's in your heart right now? They didn't see my son. They didn't see that this kid has a big heart, that he had a promising future, that he was so committed. He, he's been so committed in the community. And I am so full of rage in my heart because a part of me feels like this is nothing's going to be done. This is something that's happening all the time and nothing's going to change. Honestly, what's in my heart is I'm still afraid I'm going to lose my son. than a week later, as of this recording, Naomi still doesn't know what's going to happen. Khalil is still in critical condition. He's been placed in a medically induced coma. And his family and friends continue to gather around him every day. I'm Nora McInerney, and this is Terrible. Thanks for asking. Our producer is Hans Buto. My producer. Our. Royal we. Thank you to Naomi Thompson and to Duali Saikautau. And thank you to Minnesota Public Radio News for letting us use your interview with Naomi. You can keep up with updates on Khalil's situation and the investigation into the shooting at nprnews.org. You can find Terrible Thanks for Asking on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at TTFA Podcast. Our theme song is composed by Joffrey Wilson. TTFA is a production of APM, American Public Media.